Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a help, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, or seven times over. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God's word. Kids are dismissed at this time. I hope you all uh, enjoy your class tonight. It's part two today of the return of Miss Tina, so I know the kids are very, very excited about that. Treat her right, kids. <laughs> and her helpers. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, we have been uh, working for a little while now on this series in Genesis and, and haven't made it very far. Uh, we're still, you know, early chapters, but uh, hopefully you've seen just how um, worldview shaping the stuff in Genesis can be. It, it really is very foundational kind of stuff. And it's the same thing with this story. Now, right when you read the story of Cain and Abel, what do you immediately think it's about? Yeah. Right there on the outline, right? Murder, uh, sibling rivalry, uh, why we need to treat our brothers and sisters well. I mean, this is usually how the story is used, especially uh, when you're teaching little kids, you know, love your sisters, love your brothers, don't be like Cain. And in fact, that's not all wrong because the New Testament actually says, literally, do not be like Cain. Uh, in, in, the, in the book of James, he says, don't be like Cain. So that, that is a great application. But I want to tell you, I think this story is about far more than murder, sibling rivalry, and loving your neighbor. I actually, and I'm going to have to maybe convince you of this, but I think this is more a story about worship than anything else. I got my work cut out for me. Yeah, you're like, well, how is it about worship? Well, look at your Bible, 
And uh, the whole chapter, chapter four, is all one story. We're breaking it up into two, but it really is one story. At the very beginning, starting in verse three, it begins with a worship service, gone bad. And then all the way down at the end of the chapter, which is verse, hold on. I'd actually open my Bible to find it because it's not printed. 26, yeah, all the way down in verse 26, it ends with a worship service that has now been restored. So it was a worship service that went bad, which led to all kinds of just corruption among mankind, which most of that we'll see next week. But in the end of the chapter, God is able to seek and find a new worshiper to then reestablish worship. You say, well, what do you mean there's a worship service? Look at verse 3. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering of his, of his fruit, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock their fat portions. Uh, that phrase, in the course of time, is kind of a loaded phrase. It's used for the seasonal time markers at which people would come and worship God. I think there's really two options about what it refers to. It either refers to this, to this harvest time, so that when the harvest came in, Cain took the first fruits of his harvest, Abel took the best of his, um, of his flock during that harvest time. Or, and I think this is actually more likely, it's probably referring to the regular stated time of worship, which we learned not long ago was one day a week on the Sabbath day. Uh, God uh, obviously modeled that for Adam and Eve. I think it would be way too big of a stretch to believe that Adam and Eve didn't teach Cain and Abel this. Uh, and so when it says, in the course of time, they came and presented their offerings to God, more than likely it's referring to that. That on a certain day of every single week, people were supposed to devote it to God, and they were supposed to bring something. And the thing that they brought was supposed to be pledged to God as an act of worship. We'll talk about why one is accepted and why one is not in just a minute, but nevertheless, right there in verse 3, there was a worship service of sorts between the two brothers. Uh, before one killed the other, they stood shoulder to shoulder in the first Presbyterian church of the world. Right? Sure. Yes, that's right. Sure. At the first church, nevertheless. Not wasn't Presbyterian, but it was the first church in the whole history of the world. And then at the end, that, that phrase uh, in verse 26 is equally loaded. It's just like the other phrase. It's used mostly in the Bible to refer to worship. When it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. To call upon the name of the Lord means to worship him. To gather together with people and worship God. And so what, um, what um, began with a worship service gone bad ends in chapter 4 with a worship service restored. And in the middle are all the different ways that God is seeking worshipers. And... Finding them. Probably a better way to say it is he's seeking worshipers and making them out of people. Like we talked about this morning, uh, the church has always been this thing that's not built by humans primarily. It's a thing that's built by God to be a dwelling place for him so that he could dwell among his people and be worshipped by his people. Did I convince you? This is about worship. Maybe I didn't. It's okay if I didn't, but... At the very least, I think you'll have to at least go halfway to where, what I'm saying and say, well, it's about, at least it's a little bit about worship. 
And if that's, if that's all I can convince you of, then tonight I'm going to focus on what it's a little bit about, a lot. And then next week I'll get into some of the other items that you find in the, in the second part of this chapter. All right, so let's talk about true worship tonight. Uh, what does it mean that God seeks worshipers? Uh, why uh, do we not worship him naturally? How does God restore us to true worship? And, and so if you look at your bulletin, there are three points that I want to talk you through. Uh, there are two ways that people can worship God. They're very different. Uh, and then we're going to look at what characterizes each of the two ways. And then lastly, uh, we're going to show how much God cares to restore worship among people. By the way, this is not just my idea. I, I still see maybe that you're like, I don't know, I'm not convinced. Maybe I'm reading you wrong. Uh, this is, this is uh, actually very common you know, to interpretation of chapter 4. Uh, in fact, uh, one commentator said this, this is what I'm saying. You know, he said this is about worship, and it's about how God in, in a fallen world still produces a community that worships him somehow, even in the midst of all the corruption. Ben, yeah, feel free, yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think you're right there. And I think uh, you've got to remember who's writing this, Moses. Who is he writing it to? Israelites. Who are about to go into a hostile land with God's true worship that he just gave them. And those people do not worship God that way. And they're going to face a ton of hostility. And this is saying basically, hey, false worshipers have always tried to kill true worshipers. Stay bold. Keep worshiping God. Keep calling on the name of the Lord. You know, I I think that actually is probably the main point, you know, uh, not so much just a moral lesson about being kind to your brothers and sisters, although that is also important. And it is related to worship, by the way, which we'll see. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, there's two ways that people can worship God. Um, the commentator I was telling you about who said this is all about worship and how God establishes worship even in a fallen world, he says Cain and Abel are presented as the two sides of the Two poles of worship. You have a true worshiper and a false worshiper, Cain and Abel. Uh, notice how both boys come to God seemingly in the same way. Right? Uh, what does Cain bring? The fruit of his labor. What does Abel bring? The fruit of his labor. Now, the boys happen to have different, or the men at this point, happen to have different types of labor, but nevertheless, they both presented to God the fruit of their lives, the fruit of their work. They offered it to the Lord, which is one of the central sort of aspects of all worship. And yet, even though both boys seem to be doing the same worshipful activity, it makes it very clear God had regard for Abel and his offering, verse 4, but then verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. 
Meaning God accepted Abel and his offering, but God did not accept Cain and his offering. Now, even in the way he phrases it, you see a very important thing there. Notice how it says, did you see how it says God regarded Abel and then God regarded his offering? God did not regard Cain, but then after that he did not regard Cain's offering? What do you think? Is there any significance in that? It's a hard issue. It kind of comes out right off the bat, doesn't it? It wasn't that God didn't like, I mean, sometimes, you know, people have speculated, does God uh, like uh, animal sacrifices more than vegetable sacrifices? And, you know, it may be true, you know, because we know that we talked about this a couple weeks ago. God did make an animal sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. And it may be true that Adam and Eve taught the boys, when you worship God, you got to sacrifice an animal. Maybe. And it may be that Cain missed that one and just didn't have the faith to do that. Maybe. But it doesn't actually say that. And, and we don't get any indication as the Bible goes on that God is just anti-vegetable offerings <laughs> or anti-fruit offerings. So it probably isn't about that. Uh, other people pointed out, well, look at what it says. Cain brought just an offering. Abel, though, brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And I think that one maybe has more likely, you know, it's more likely to have a lot of truth to it. Maybe Cain just threw something up because he knew he had to kind of the way it makes it sound. He just kind of did it. But with Abel, it gives a value judgment on what Abel offered. It was the best, the first, and the fattest. That's maybe more likely. But I think even more likely than that, whatever the manifestation in the actual act of worship was, at the end of the day, God regarded Abel but not Cain because of something that was going on in their heart, which is why it says it the way it says it. He regarded Abel and his offering. He didn't regard Cain or his offering. And so we learn something about worship here. We learn something about the two different ways of worshiping. People can worship with their heart engaged towards God, like Abel, it seems, or people can worship for some other ulterior motive, like Cain. And that can happen today just as much as it happened back then, right? If it happened in the very first church, I think, you know, we also are susceptible down the line as far as we are from Cain and Abel. Uh, a Jewish commentator uh, on the passage, and Jewish people uh, in their comments on Genesis have very interesting observations oftentimes. And this Jewish writer, who actually uh, would eventually become a Christian, uh, he says... Whereas the one worshiper went out of his way to please God, the other simply discharged a duty. And I think that's probably getting more at it, right? When God asks people to worship, he's not just asking for perfunctory outward actions. God's actually asking us for our heart. For the true expression of our heart. We read it in the catechism tonight. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will, with confession of our sins, thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. I mean, that is a genuine outpouring of the heart to God. Not just a, 
I am here to worship in the way that my mom told me to, you know. Which it, which it seems like there was some of that in Cain. And, and as the story goes on, I think it's undeniable there was some of that in Cain. Right? I mean, after all this goes down, when God comes to Cain, I mean, his heart becomes very apparent, doesn't it? In the story, I mean, it is. His heart is stinky. And God already knew that. God knew it way before he ever killed his brother. And, and so when Cain brought his stinky heart to God, even though, you know, he may have had some sweet vegetables... The vegetables, how, as sweet as they were, couldn't outweigh the stinky heart. And for us today, it's the same thing. What God, what God really wants from us is that we would have a wholehearted desire to please him. Did you hear that? That's what God is looking for. I mean, when you talk about God seeks worshipers, what does that mean? He wants a people who just wholeheartedly want to please him. wholeheartedly they're not interested so much in primarily what they can get out of it or just the simple bare sort of duty of it so they can check it off that he God is looking for someone who just wants to please the Lord and they may not do it perfectly I don't think there's anything in this story that suggests Abel was not a sinner in fact why would he offer an animal sacrifice if he wasn't acknowledging himself to be a sinner but what we do see is a heart that really just wants God's will. Um, when you're, you receive a gift, like if your spouse gives you a gift or someone you love gives you a gift, how important is it that they are giving you something that you actually want? Very. Well, very, very, yeah. And all the men, all the women said amen and amen. It's not, but it's not just a woman thing, right? We all feel that way, don't we? I mean, if somebody gives you something that you don't care about, and, they, and, and it's like they, they should know better. I mean, I'm not talking about like the person that doesn't know you very well. I'm talking about the person that should know better, and they just come and give you a, a stinker of a gift. How, how, does that, how does that sit with you? <laughs> say what? <laughs> depends on who it is, right? Yeah. It depends on who it is. But, and sometimes it can just be funny. Sometimes it can just be something you laugh off. But there are times, I think you can imagine there are times when it might actually hurt you. Yes. And, it, and it might actually, like, make you mad and kind of like, what in the world? Like, do you not know me? Have I been with you this long, you know? And you don't know what I, what I am looking for. And, and, and that, it might not even come out of a heart of greediness to feel that way. I mean, sometimes it might, like, give me what I want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, wow, you really just didn't care. You put no time. You'd be like, put no effort. Well, and I know, I mean, some of us have in our lives complained to one of our loved ones that, that, that they didn't take enough time and care. Right? I know that's probably happened from people in this room, right? You don't have to raise your hand. It's never happened to Bob. <laughs> that you own up to. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's never happened to me either, Bob. 
My wife's not in here to contradict me, so I, I know it's happened with us. So if we feel the need to do that sometimes, do you think God just wants you to come just any old way with any old thing, any old time? Just, eh, you know, he must receive it because I did my best. It's the thought that counts. Cain apparently thought that, right? Cain apparently had that in his mind, that God will just approve it because it was technically correct. Abel knew better. Abel said, no, i got to offer. I just want to please him. I just want to please God. I want, when I put that animal on the altar and the smoke goes up, I want the smoke to give pleasure to God's nostrils, as the Bible later says about the offerings of his people. Sweet smell in his nostrils. That was, what, that was what drove, you know, Abel. And so I wonder, is that, let's ask ourselves, is that what drives us when we come to worship? Not only when we come to worship, but every day in your worship, in your daily just ins and outs of serving God, is that what's driving you? Pleasing God. Offering to him something that just makes him smile, satisfies his heart because it comes from a place of true devotion rather than just, you know, it's what we have to do. Two ways to worship God. There's acceptable and unacceptable ways. And the acceptable is always defined by the heart. The unacceptable is always defined by the heart as well. Now, you know, you can offer to God outwardly wrong worship even with an inward heart. With, an, with a fairly good heart, and that's still not, that's not good either. Uh, you can think of probably some examples. Um, you know, if someone said, well, I, I sincerely want to worship God by lighting a candle in front of a statue of the Virgin Mary. That is not an appropriate form of worship. That person may have an inward heart that's sincere, but it's not an appropriate outward form of worship. So you can go wrong in that way too, okay? It's not just if I mean well, it's good. It's if I mean well in the sense that I am seeking to do what God has asked me to do. And God didn't ask me to do that particular thing. He asked me to do other things. And so that's what I'm talking about. Uh, It wasn't that Abel didn't care about the outward form. It was that for Abel, the inward heart of wanting to please God drove what he did outwardly. And the same thing should be true of us. That's the first thing. Now, secondly, let's go into some more detail about what uh, characterizes these two opposite states of heart. Because you may be thinking, well, I wonder, am I, am I more of an Abel or, a, you know, God forbid, am I more of a Cain? Well, as the story goes on, uh, Cain is fully put on display. Did you notice that? Starting in verse 5, sort of the end part of verse 5, uh, all the way down to verse 16, really. Uh, God and Cain have this back and forth. Uh, Cain gets very angry when his offering is not accepted. And then what does God do? Verse 6, ask some good questions. Just like he did with, his, with Cain's mom and dad, right? He's, where are you? You know, he starts asking these leading questions so that Cain will, will confess, so that Cain will come to a sense of what, what's really going on in his heart so that he can bring that uh, honestly to God. But when God does that, Cain completely gives God the stiff arm. 
In fact, so much so that Cain immediately goes out, verse 8 and 9, and speaks to his brother, which is very, you know, interesting way to put it, almost like Cain is luring his brother out, like pretending to be kind, and then once he gets out there, he rises up on Cain and kills him. And then what does God do? Remarkable. He comes back to Cain and asks questions again. You find that in verse 9. Where is your brother? And then what does Cain do? Puts the brakes on again. I'm not... I'm not letting God in. You know, I mean, Cain's heart is so obvious by this point. God says something and Cain stiffens up. That's just, that is Cain's heart. God says something and I don't like that. I don't want to listen to that. I want to do it my way. Well, even after that, what does God do? He keeps approaching him. And yes, he says to Cain, Cain, you're going to be a fugitive. Things are going to go bad for you because you're not following me. But even still, God is gracious to say, Cain, no, I'm going to make sure no one kills you in revenge. And, you know, yeah, you know, you're going to have a harder time out there in the desert where you're going to be farming from now on. But I'm still going to make sure you eat. We're going to learn next week that Cain builds a city and his sons and daughters are actually very successful in many different ways. I mean... He's blessed in some ways by God, even though he is like this against God's word. So it, just, it really does show the mercifulness of God tremendously. But just as much as it shows the mercy of God, it shows really what the heart of false worship is, what the heart of unacceptable approach to God looks like. And I have in my notes five things real quick. And I won't be able to spend a bunch of time on each one of them, but I'll give them to you. You may want to write them down. Based on this, uh, false worship is transactional, but true worship is personal. Where, where do you think I'm getting that from? False worship is transactional. How do you know? Yeah, go ahead, Clint. Oh, it just, yeah. It means you're, you're, you're doing it to get something else. Yeah. Lord, if I do this, then give me your car. Give me something. Yeah. God, right. Yeah, and how do you know Cain had a transactional heart? He got mad. And that's, all, that's always a telltale sign. In any, actually, any relationship, this is like a relationship tip. Uh, when you get mad because someone doesn't live up to your expectations, um, you are dealing with them transactionally. It doesn't mean you're never justified to get mad, right? It doesn't mean I'm not saying that, but I'm saying watch your heart when you when you get mad, because probably in there there's this thing where you're not treating you probably are veering on the edge of not treating them as a person as you would want to be treated in mercy, and you're probably expecting the the quid pro quo thing between you and them. Yeah, he does. That's right. I mean, this whole story, right? He's just showering Cain. You know, Cain, you know, Cain, where are you? And Cain stiffens up and God just showers him. And then God comes and says another thing and Cain stiffens up and God showers him. And yet here's Cain coming to worship, offering up his vegetables, saying, God, I gave you the veg. Pass over whatever it is I need. And when God didn't care about the veg, he gets real mad. It says his face fell. 
which is a very strong way to say he was just sullen. I mean, he was sullen. He was dejected. Um, he was insufferable. He was like a pouting child. Man, sometimes I can be that way towards the Lord, right? A pouting child. More transactional than personal. Second thing, uh, false worship shrugs off God's word, but true worship takes it to heart. How does Cain shrug off God's word? Man, in every way possible, right? In every way you can conceive. I mean, look again at verses 6 and 7. How would you characterize God's word to Cain in verses 6 and 7? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I do not, I don't think 6 and 7 could, any, could be taken as an attack. 6 and 7 is like fatherly direction, kindness, like just real down-to-earth help. And yet, what's Cain's response to it? To lure his brother into a field so he could kill him. He shrugged off the word. You know, even though God came to him and said, Cain, I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to show you how to defeat sin. Sin's in your heart, and I see that, and that's why I didn't accept your offering. But I'm going to show you how to defeat that. And Cain instead doubles down. And it was the same thing. I mean, this is even more stark there in verse uh, 9. God's question again. I mean, you can't really take his question as a, I mean, this, he just murdered his brother, and yet God doesn't, you know, doesn't come and say, how dare you, or no, I'm going to kill you. I mean, he says literally just, where is your brother? And Cain's response is, I don't know. Am I supposed to be my brother's keeper? Wow. Not only did he shrug off God's word, he positively stiff arms God's word. If we're going to have the heart that comes to God and say, God, really, here's what I want. I I want you to be pleased. If if you're going to do that, you've got to learn how to sit receptive under God's word. You've got to learn how to not shrug it off or stiffen your neck and back. Now, I'm saying you've got to learn because we all have to learn because we've got the Cain disease, too. Because he has the same, I mean, Abel had the Cain disease. We all have the Cain disease, which is to be very rebellious, very self-righteous and confident. We have to learn how to slowly humble ourselves from that by patiently listening and being willing to do what God tells us to do. Wow. Third thing. Uh, False worship leaves you unchanged, but true worship uh, forms you for mastery over sin. Cain and Abel went to church together, verse 3. They, they both offered worship the way that they were supposed to, apparently. But Cain walked away entirely unchanged by it. Just entirely unchanged by it. It, it would have been no different had Cain never come to worship God. And that's, I think that's exactly why God comes to him right away and says, Cain, you didn't get it. I mean, you came and you worshiped, but you didn't listen to my sermon. You didn't take to heart what I was trying to tell you because I was trying to get you to learn how to overcome sin. And yet, your worship just sort of 
well, confirmed you in your sin more. I mean, you just walked away feeling more sure of yourself. And that's usually the way it always is, right? When, when we don't come to please God, we usually walk away pleasing ourselves, but not, but not him, right? When we come to please God, we might not walk away feeling pleased in ourselves, but we're pleased that God is pleased. And that's worth more to us than being pleased. You see, these are deep, hard issues. And this is why I say that this, this story is at the headwaters of the Bible. And this story is right there in the front pages because it's trying to set the tone for a big theme, which is God is after human hearts. And human hearts are constantly resisting him. But yet, God is wanting to show us a way to not resist him. Number four, false worship uh, refuses to take ownership for sin. But true worship begins with humble confession. That's what God wants. I mean, when God came to uh, Adam and Eve and he started asking questions, remember we said a few weeks ago, what God was trying to do is he was trying to draw a confession out of them. And, and he got one, but it was a very weak one. But yet he got one and he still honored it, even though it was a weak one. Here, he's doing the same thing. He's asking similar, very similar questions. He's trying to get Cain to say, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. You didn't accept it because I was just here to please me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. I didn't realize that that was why. It wasn't because you just favored my brother over me or that you like animals more than vegetables. It was that my heart was about me and his wasn't. But you don't get any of that from Cain because fake worship is really good at just refusing to own the confession. Refusing to say sin is mine and it's my fault and I want, I want to be saved from it. But when someone is really worshiping God, they begin there. Right? That's what real worship begins with confession of sin, a true one, not just a, you know, just because you know that's what you're supposed to do, but like, God, I really am truly sorry. And I truly want you to meet me here and, and bless me as a sinner and make me righteous in your sight. And change me. Last one. False worship hardens the heart. But true worship softens your heart under God's discipline. The more God came and talked to Cain, the harder Cain became. This is why if you don't come with the right heart, it's really dangerous, actually, to read the Bible or, or worship. It's really dangerous. It's dangerous to come to church unprepared. Very dangerous. Uh, because if you're not prepared to come to really please God, then you may actually leave worse than you came. Same thing with reading the Bible. If you don't come wanting to actually hear and do it, then you may actually walk away from your Bible worse than when you sat down. You say, well, that's scary and not very encouraging. Well, just learn how to prepare, right? That's what God said. I mean, if God really wants your heart, then why not? You know, why not? Uh, if that's what God's all about, why, why don't, don't we make some shifts in our life to where that's what we're all about? Getting the heart ready to offer it the way God wants us to. Uh, Cain gets worse, you know. At first, he was just kind of like, you know, not saying anything, but secretly ignoring God's word. And then it came to like outward defiance. Uh, Am I my brother's keeper? This sort of sarcastic dismissal. And then finally, uh, 
in verse 13, uh, Cain kind of gives this, woe is me, um, my punishment is too great to bear. Notice Cain says nothing, even at that point, about how sorry he is and how badly his treatment of God was and how much he hurt his brother and how much he broke his mother's heart. And he doesn't say any of that. All he says is, well, I can't handle the punishment. Cain is worse in the end of the story than he was in the beginning. And I think there's just a really important lesson to us or for us here. I mean, the, the, the prophets of the Old Testament always talked about this, you know, the, or actually I should say God talked about this through the prophets. Um, guess who said this? I hate your worship services. <laughs> well, who was saying that? Isaiah wrote it, but who said it? God. And, and nobody would ever think God would say something like that, right? Really? God hates your word? But God actually said that. Now, I'm not saying God's going around all the time saying that. God only says it when he means it. But he meant it there. There was something about just how they just didn't care. Yeah, they were coming, and, and, and Isaiah makes the indication that they were doing a lot of the right things, but they were coming. He says, your lips were near me, but your heart was far from me, is what he says. And so I hate your assemblies. You know, it's just, it's weary. I mean, uh, Malachi says, uh, this is another prophet, God says through Malachi, uh, you complain because my worship services, worshiping me, wears you out. Well, it's you that's wearing me out. That's what God says. You're the one wearing me out. You say it's just drudgery to come to worship me, but guess what? How drudgery it is for me. Because I'm asking for the heart. And you're coming, eh, just because you have to. You know, like, like the writer says, uh, Cain came to simply discharge a duty. Abel came to go out of his way to please God. Your heart is far from me, but your lips are near to me. I, I realize when I'm reading these things, I mean, even studying this week, man, this is really convicting. This is like, whoa, you know. And I don't think any of us should walk away thinking, man, I am a true worshiper. Uh, I, I am doing so well on all these things. I mean, I think all of us have to think, wow, I, I've got a long way to go. Uh, God's got a lot of work to do on my heart. That's the way I felt looking at this this week. Uh, and I, I just encouraged me to pray more about, Lord, help me to prepare better throughout the week. Uh, help, me to, help me to really, truly just give me a concern for pleasing you. I mean... Somebody, I think it was the, uh, the guy who started Chick-fil-A. What's his name? Truett Cathy. Yeah. Uh, in one of the books he wrote, he says, you know what the best way to show someone you care is? To actually care. You know, and that, that came back to my mind this week, and I thought, you know, God, I mean, the best way for us to show we truly care is that we actually would care about you. Help me to care more. Help me to have, you know, to have this sort of burden on my heart to want to please you. Mm. I think that's the way we should be walking out tonight. Now, lastly, and this, is, this actually gives you some helpful, I think, way to deal with some of the, what I feel as just conviction, um, is, is God's zeal for his worship. God continues to care for Cain. Uh, next week we're going to see that as God blesses Cain, he does so so that his family would grow large 
so that one day members of even his family would once again become true worshipers. Cain thought he beat God, but God plays the long game. And many generations later, some of Cain's descendants were some of God's best worshipers. Not only that, but Adam and Eve received from God a new son. Look at verses 25 and 26, not in the bulletin, but in your Bible. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring. That's interesting. Uh, Seth sounds like the word for appointed in Hebrew. Remember Cain, it sounded like the word gotten in Hebrew. So when when she had Cain, she said, I've gotten a man by the help of the Lord. But then when Seth was born, she makes it a little bit more faithful. God appointed a son for me. And it says that in his family, as they began to pass the faith on to him, even though Abel had died, and so it seemed like true worship was wiped out. Once Adam and Eve died, there would be no more worshipers on the earth. You've got to get the enormity of this scene, right? True worship has been wiped out except for Adam and Eve. And yet God comes and gives to Adam and Eve a new son, an appointed son. And in his family, it says, people began again to call upon the name of the Lord. God's worship won. Why? Because God is able to win the hearts of worshipers. Now, how does he do that? How how does God win your heart to want to please him? Well, we we could talk about how he did that for Cain and for Abel. How did Abel get to that position? It would be a lot of speculation, though. Um, Let's talk instead about how he does it now. When it says uh, in in this um, story there in verse... um, 10, God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, God says, we have a blood now that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, Abel's blood cried from the ground, and what did Abel's blood cry? What was it saying? Just imagine. What did God hear? Avenge me, you know, avenge me. I have been killed unjustly. Avenge me. Punish Cain. Get him back. But the writer of the Hebrews says when Jesus' blood cries from the ground, which he was also a true worshiper who was unjustly taken away by false worshipers. that, That is the story of the religious leaders who said that they were worshipers, but they were not right with God in their heart. They put to death the one guy who was right with God in his heart. When Jesus' blood cries from the ground, what does it cry? Father, forgive them. Not avenge me, avenge me, but Father, forgive them. And right there, that is how God wins your heart. If your heart's going to be won, that's how he's going to win it. Is you learn how to hear the voice of Jesus' blood crying to God for you from the ground. Father, forgive him. Forgive her. Give to her, give to him what I deserve because I have taken what he deserved. Whatever it was that made that heart enable that wanted to please God, I'm sure it had something to do with the fact that his mom and dad told him the whole story about how they fell and how God came and 
they confessed and God killed an animal. An innocent animal was killed so that they could then know God again. And I'm sure that in some way motivated Abel to want to please God because look at how God had treated my mom and dad. Look at how he treats me. And the same thing today, the true worshiper is the person who boasts in Jesus. It's the person who says, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve, I can't please God on my own. I don't deserve anything from God except vengeance against me. But the blood of Jesus cries from the cross, Father, forgive that sinner. And place that sinner forever in my family. A citizen in the kingdom, member of the household. Make him that and keep him that forever. When you understand that, man, worship takes on a whole new dimension, doesn't it? To me it does. And worship in the public sense, worship in the private sense, worship in your closet at home, worship while you're working. All worship takes on a different life. It's like Paul said, I used to serve God because I was just an angry religious fellow. But now that I met Jesus, I serve God because I want to give myself up for the one who gave himself up for me. Paul heard the voice of the blood of Jesus crying for him from the ground and it changed him. And in many ways, as the kids come in, in many ways, what we all need to hear, each and every one of us, young and old, is the blood of Jesus crying out over our lives for our sake. In order to turn us from being, I'm just here to do a duty so that I don't get fined, right? (laughs) So that God doesn't punish me. Thank you. (laughs) It's the catechism lesson. Uh, So that God doesn't punish me. To becoming the person that says, oh man, I deserve vengeance and yet he gave his blood for me to cleanse me.